0: Welcome to Radical Personal Finance, a show dedicated to providing you with the knowledge, skills, insight, and encouragement you need to live a rich and meaningful life now, while building a plan for financial freedom in 10 years or less. My name is Joshua. I am your host, and today we answer a listener question. A listener writes in and says, Joshua, good evening. I've been listening for a while, and I remember that during one episode, you briefly went into how you were scanning all of your books to PDF. I was wondering, will you please elaborate some more on that for me? Did you have a high-end duplex scanner? or software specially made for assembling the multiple scans of the pages of the books? Or did you brute force it for all of your books with simply a plate glass scanner? The process of separating the bindings, and most of all, scanning each individual page, seems very cumbersome with my run-of-the-mill HP scanner-printer combo. I'm curious because one of my hobbies is playing chess, and I'm usually unable to resist the unspoken promise of rapid chess improvement if I buy just one more chess book. My wife would like me to uh, consolidate the plethora of chess knowledge on my bookshelves, but I'm loath to throw away some of the books before I have yet had the chance to study them, even if I admit that it's likely I never will get to all of them. Thank you, Joshua. We'll keep up the good work. It's a good question, and I have personal experience and personal thoughts on this that I think will be useful for you today. First, a short sales pitch on reading. I have met only a handful of wealthy people who were not readers. And even that handful of wealthy people who were not readers and yet had managed to become wealthy, I would my analysis is that is a deficiency. And they were successful in spite of that personal shortcoming and that personal deficiency, not because of it. I have never met someone who proudly proclaims, ah, I'm just not a reader, who I've generally looked at and said, Uh, uh, well, I just want to be just like them. Generally, the people who most loudly proclaim such statements uh, frequently, their lives reflect the fact that they are not readers and that they don't have the opportunity to gain the benefit of the wisdom of the ages. Now, that's not universally true. There have been people who have been successful that I've come in contact with or observed that aren't readers, but at least usually when they say, I'm not a reader, they've often said so with a note of apology, recognizing that they probably would get better results if they were a reader. There is no more efficient mechanism for the acquisition of knowledge and information than reading. Listening doesn't do it. Watching videos doesn't do it. Sitting in classes doesn't do it. Talking to people and gaining just from your own life experience doesn't do it. Now, all of those things are important. Audio is helpful, video is useful, classes are wonderful, and your own personal experience is crucial. But reading should be the foundation of all of our educational platforms. Unfortunately, in our modern age, too many of us have the the thought that education is something that happens to us. We go to school and we get our education instead of becoming learners intent, and focused on constant self-education. Reading is very efficient because you can change the pace of reading as appropriate to the content. Some books need about 10 minutes. Some books need 10 minutes per page or more. And it's only with the technology of reading that you can apply the appropriate pace and tempo to your studies. Reading is a skill that has to be developed and learned, but I'm personally convinced that the very first of your investment dollars should be invested into books, and your time should be invested into books. They're one of the best investments. Books are uniquely rich in content, especially the good books, the best books, the great books. Books are works of or labors, labors of love usually by their author. It takes so much time for an author to sit down and consider their thoughts and develop those thoughts and put them into a book that people don't generally do it casually. Only a handful of books are written quickly and published immediately. Rather, an author will generally labor and labor and labor for hundreds or thousands of hours over their content. And in preparation for their content, they will usually bring a lifetime of study or at least years of study, years of interest, many interviews, much thinking and organization to their topic. They'll bring that and put it into a book. And they'll usually draw on the work, the collected works of others throughout history who've done the same thing. So when you read a good book, you're usually reading the output of dozens of great focused minds applied to a specific problem. And so there's a good chance that you'll get a good result. Now, not all books are great, but you can spot the great ones quickly and spot the not great ones quickly and adjust your time appropriately. So books are a wonderful investment, but they do come with a problem. And that problem is how do you store them? Now, my listener's wife would like him to consolidate some of the books on his bookshelves, and my wife feels exactly the same way. My wife is a reader, but she very much, uh, unlike me, she very much would ascribe to the Marie Kondo theory of books that once you have read it, has become a part of you, and there's no reason to keep it around any longer. Uh, I appreciate that, but that's not been my experience. And uh, in her opinion, books look like clutter, and so she doesn't like to see clutter in the house, doesn't want to have a bunch of bookshelves in the house. Well, that's uh, a little bit at odds with my own... Uh, decorating intention, where I would be happy to live in a, uh, a, a house that was stacked with nothing but bookshelves. I do prefer them to be on the bookshelves. I'm not quite like the, uh, <laughs> like the Clive Cussler character. I think it was St. Julian Perlmutter, who was <laughs> an elderly eccentric man who lived in a house where uh, there wasn't any surface left because every bookshelf was full and uh, there was a stack on every floor. I like my books to be neat, but I do like to have them around. And uh, that performs a challenge because it's challenging to figure out where do you store them? Where do you keep them? Books are best displayed on a bookshelf. If they're going to actually be useful, they're best displayed on a bookshelf. And I affirm that from personal experience. I've tried other methods of sorting and maintaining books. Uh, in the past, when we moved from a larger house into a smaller apartment, one of the problems was what do I do with all my books? And so my plan at that point in time was I went from using bookshelves to using some of those uh, sturdy industrial shelves that you can buy that are two feet by four feet in size. And I put large plastic bins on those shelves, and I put all my books in the bins. I went through and I inventoryed the titles and authors of the books, and I made an inventory list so I would know which bin to access when uh, when I needed a certain book. And I thought that that was would work well. It did not work. Books belong on bookshelves. So I tell you that first and foremost. But bookshelves require time, it's space, and there's a financial cost to maintaining those bookshelves. You, you have to have them. So either it's the visual space needed or the financial investment of renting a larger apartment, buying a larger house, etc. Uh, so uh, it's been a constant question that I have wrestled with. Uh, I like the idea of having a personal library. And uh, in the future, I want to make sure that our house always has a large personal library. Uh, to me, that's important. But recently, in preparation for for, um, for traveling, I decided that this time I would go ahead and try digitizing my books. And I learned a lot for that by the way i should also address one of the questions or uh, that you might have about what about the use of a library i like i personally like to use libraries uh, the places i like to go to libraries i enjoy being in libraries and i love libraries especially for the purpose of scanning a topic Generally, since the time I was, as long as I can remember, if I go to the library, I'll usually walk out with anywhere from 30 to 50 books uh, or more. I I have always maintained a maximum borrowing on, on various library cards that I've ever had. I don't read all of them, but I, 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 absorb a decent amount of what I'm interested in those books. And so there's no better, uh, tool than a good library for being able to scan a topic that you have interest in and, uh, and, and gain a sense of that topic. Um, this would be referred to if you were, um, uh, studying, uh, how to read a book, um, uh, the classic text on, on how to be a better reader, um, one of the terms that, that Mortimer Adler gave me, the author of that that particular text, uh, one of the the terms that he gave is was called syntopical reading, and that's where you survey a, a particular subject. So if you're studying a particular issue, perhaps it's gardening in general or a specific type of gardening, or perhaps you're studying a, a philosophical question, one of the things that you need to do is you need to search out all of the literature that's been produced on that subject, and then you need to scan it and read it syntopically so that you can understand what the key questions are, and then you go back and you identify the key texts uh, that you need to really study. But I've always found that's easy to do with a library. You can go to a a library, you can pick a, a topic and you can just grab 30 books off the shelves, take them home and and browse through them over the course of a week or so, and you'll quickly understand the basic outlines of a particular topic. So that's what I like to use for libraries. The challenge for me is books that I actually want to read or that I actually read, I usually want to interact with those books. Uh, for me, um, Interacting with the book, uh, you, through the use of marginalia, the underlining, the highlighting, the, the, the questions that I write. That's important to me because it helps me to, uh, interact with the author. It helps me to pay attention when I read and it helps me to, to note my own thoughts and questions. So my own personal systems of, of marginalia are relatively simple, but I just have a goal that, w- I want to make the book actually mine, so I highlight with liberality. I underline without uh, feeling bad about it. I mark questions. I circle. I, I I try to interact with the with the the author. I write my own thoughts or questions as I'm reading, uh, so that I can see if the author's going to answer them as I continue on. I have little symbols that I use for an action point. So I'll put a little check mark if there's something that I need to do an action point. I, le- I keep at the front of the book a list of to do items uh, of Things that I need to change or things that I want to do or things that I want to look at based upon what I read in the book. And so by the time I'm done reading a book, it's pretty well destroyed for the use of somebody else. Uh, But I find that that helps me to get the most out of my book. And then based upon my own system of marginalia, once I've read the book, I don't need to read it again. Uh, If I ever need to come back to that book, I can usually remember what's in it, I can remember what I read, and I can come back and I can quickly look at my highlights or my underlines or the major major questions or my summary of it, and I can understand if the book was, uh, well, well, I I can understand what was there. And so I never need to read a book twice. But I want to keep that system of marginalia. Uh, And that's been a challenge for me because in the past, I've gone through various phases of decluttering. Uh, About five years ago. I was decluttering books because I had, it just seems like most of my life, I went up with these boxes of books and some, most of them I've read, a lot of them I haven't. And, and they just accumulate and accumulate and accumulate. And and so I decided, okay, that's it. I'm going to, I'm going to get rid of some, but uh, you know, about five years ago, I, I got rid of, I, I think I, w- I would say probably 500, 800 books, something like that. And I had sorted them carefully and I kept the most important ones, but I went ahead and I, I was hardcore and I got rid of lots of them, but then I would regret that because there was one idea and I remembered what the book was and I went looking for it. I got rid of it because it wasn't a great book, but it had this one particular idea. So this time in preparation for traveling, I decided to try scanning and I thought I would, I would um, really, uh, uh, I would try it. And I had listened to my friend Jake DeSillis's discussion on this topic on his podcast, The Voluntary Life. Jake is an entrepreneur. He is an early retirement uh, writer, and he and his wife uh, have been living a location independent lifestyle for the last few years. But as a reader himself, he wrestled with this question. And what he wound up doing was scanning uh, all of his library so that he could carry it with him in his computer and in his various digital devices. After hearing his system, I decided to uh, to do the same thing, and so I decided to go ahead and scan my books and keep them with me as scanned copies of books. Uh, before I go to the exact system of what I did and what I recommend for you, I should also touch on the question of digital books versus paper books. The current, uh, in today's world, we're, we're grateful, of course, that there are huge numbers of digital books available, and digital books are superior in terms of a native digital format something that's published in an epub or uh, a kindle format uh, or some di- native ebook format that works with your ebook reader, whether that's a reader that you're using uh, on your computer or on a handheld uh, device of some kind, a native digital book is superior for your reading experience. The problem with relying exclusively or primarily on digital books that are are in ebook formats is at least for the type of nonfiction writing that I nonfiction reading that I engage in, that limits you to new books. Very few publishers are going back to a book that was published in 1981 that sold 10,000 copies and saying, let's issue this in an ebook format. So first of all, the major problem with digital books is they only get new books and books that are larger. Uh, Whereas paper books, there are millions and millions of them out there. And with paper books, you can actually usually get a better deal with the used book marketplaces, whether that's on the large sites like Amazon or on the various uh, other sites. The large, uh, you can go and buy a book for a, the shipping cost. It's a penny plus the shipping cost. Most books, three, forty dollars $4, $8, et cetera. I'll buy books all day long. For $4 a piece just to look at them when they're related to a topic. But that means you accumulate a lot of paper books. The other problem with digital books that I have is uh, that they are generally going to have some system of digital rights management associated with them. And the digital rights management systems limit you to an exclusive, um, an exclusive platform for those books to work, and they limit your ownership of it. Now, I'm conflicted on this. I'm not a DRM-free purist like some people are. But I, just as a practical matter, I hate to be stuck in the DRM uh, system. A simple example, let's pick on buying Kindle books. Uh, let's say that you go to Amazon and you buy Kindle books on Amazon. Amazon has a wonderful system to connect you with those uh, with those Kindle books. And the Kindle book marketplace is huge. You can get so many great books there. But the problem is you can't integrate those Kindle books with the books that you buy for your Nook. And the other problem is, in order to maintain those Kindle books, you have to maintain the same Amazon account. Well, I'm a little bit concerned about maintaining one in place record of all of the books that I buy and that I read with one Amazon account over the period of years. I think that you should swap out your Amazon accounts at least uh, every couple of years. You should set up a new one with a new name and a new uh, identity and a new new location, so that those aren't all connected in one particular record. Uh, and then also as technology changes, you don't need you you, you want to keep those from one thing to another. So that's hard to do with the DRM of uh, Amazon. I also don't like the way that all the data is collected with digital book readings. So Amazon, again, as an example, has fairly, in, you know, you don't have the same privacy of reading a, a Kindle book as you do with reading a paper book. Kindle knows exactly how far you've read. They know exactly how um how fast you've read, they know the the what you're reading, exactly what you're reading, exactly what you're underlining, if you're taking any notes in those, which is, of course, difficult to do. But if you do take any notes in your digital book and that in your Amazon system, which means that some of your most personal thoughts and your most personal um, insights and the and the personal things that you're researching are now available uh, and and categorized in a database that is uh, exposed to the exploits of somebody who may be looking to find that information out. Of course, for the most part, that's not that big of a risk, but there's a decent chance that uh, at some point in time, somebody might want to gain access to that. Now, you can change some of those settings. You can turn them from public to private. You can turn off some of the data collection, but digital books just don't give the same degree of privacy, and I'd be pretty uncomfortable with, uh, with any creation of all of the things that I read because without context, the particular interests that I have of reading about, um, to various people might or might not look like something that they should be concerned about. Uh, context is important. So I don't care so much for digital books and I don't love, um, uh, some of the modern DRM practices that are, that are foisted upon us by all of the major, um, uh, well, most of the major book publishers. I do have some solutions to that because I still buy uh, digital books, but I have some solutions to improve that. So first, let me talk about the paper books, and then let's talk about digital books at the end. So here's what I have done and what I have had. uh, It's the best system that I have come up with. First of all, in order to, um, to scan the books, I have... Engage in I guess what, for lack of a better term, it's called destructive scanning, which means that I physically destroy the book for the purpose of scanning it. That means that I cut the spine off and I separate the papers out uh, and, and so that I can run it through a scanner. Uh, I, the way that I do that, I've done this a few different ways is first I've done some books manually. If you just sit down with a book and you rip off, it's a, if it's a hardcover, you just rip off the hardcover and you can separate the pages one by one. You can pull off a dozen pages and uh, slice off the ends. You can do it fa- manually. I've done that with a few dozen books. Uh, you can do this to some degree with a standard office paper cutter. Uh, a little. But in my experience, I'd rather do with scissors than that standard office paper cutter. But if you have anything more than, say, a couple dozen books that you intend to do this to at a time, you definitely don't want to do this manually. What you want to do is you want to get a guillotine paper cutter. And you want to g- go towards one of the more commercial ones. So the one that I have used, uh, uh, that I borrowed from somebody, was a... Fairly was a, it wasn't a high end commercial one, but it was a just a common desk type one that could do a couple hundred pages. And with most books, I could put in most books, most paperbacks, most hardback books, except for the very thickest of my textbooks, which I scanned all my textbooks as well. Uh, then uh, you can just slide them in there and you put the, you crank the little wheel down and you press the, the, the guillotine lever and you slice off the spine. And that works really, really well. Uh, I used to work in a print shop and we had a big giant one that could do 500 pages or a thousand pages at a time. that's what you use when you, after you do a printing, uh, then you come and you do the trimming and that's the kind of thing you use for that. Well, you can get a a home version of that uh, for your home. Uh, if you don't have one of those, you got to get that. So plan on that in terms of your costs. In my case, I was able to borrow one. So I don't still own it. um, But I can have access to it anytime I want to. So you have to cut up and destroy the books. I believe there are services that will do that for you. I believe you can ship the books off. And I would recommend that you consider it uh, because it's very time intensive. If you can look at a service and they charge you um, modest price, a couple bucks a book, something like that, it's probably worth it to go ahead and ship the books off and have somebody with commercial equipment, do the destruction of the book, and then scan it for you. What I chose to do was I chose to purchase a scanner that's called a ScanSnap iX500. At the time that I was doing this research, and it was the basic standard out there for a high-end home scanner. It's a duplex scanner, which means that you can put a stack of pages, you can put 100 pages from the book on the scanner and it'll feed it through automatically, pulling off the bottom and it'll automatically scan both sides of the book. Uh, the, the my version of the iX500 scans at about 30 pages a minute. So that can make pretty quick work of a uh, of a book. You do have to sit there and feed it, uh, but it'll scan 30 pages a minute automatically and it'll create a PDF for you. And if you've done a good job with your cutting of the book to eliminate binding, to eliminate adhesives, and to eliminate double pages, it's fairly trouble-free. You learn over time that you need to cut off more than you'd like to because you want to make sure there's no binding or glue residue that's holding pages together because that just messes up all the scans but it's fairly trouble-free and so you can run it through with the scanner in hindsight Given the fact that uh, if I didn't own or have access to the, to the loan of a guillotine paper cutter, I might consider buying one of the more expensive scanners that uh, is purpose designed for scanning books. Uh, and there are, so the, the scan snap is about 450 500 books, sorry, 500 bucks for the scanner. If you can increase your price of the, Uh, Scanner up to about 750 800 bucks. You can get a scanner that sits on the paper, and as you flip the pages of a book, it'll automatically take a snapshot of the book and scan it. Uh, and that does a, uh, for the reviews that I looked at, that does a pretty good job. Now, obviously, financially, that's a pretty tough nut to swallow. When I was searching, I didn't find many on the used market. I would imagine you could buy one of those, digitize your library, and sell it for a decent price. But I don't know those numbers. And because that particular type of scanner is purpose-focused on books, it didn't have as much utility as I felt having the ScanSnap um, uh duplex ix500 would be because the ix500 is something that you can use and keep on hand constantly for digitizing your life it's so simple it can it can take a a stack of mixed paper and receipts invoices documents for your home etc and so you can since you can scan just about anything that'll slide through the 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 scanning bed uh, it, ge- it has a much greater versatility, and so you have to factor that in. You're trying to buy these books cheap and avoid from buying them in the future because you're trying to create this archive, but still, you, if you've got to buy a scanner, you've got to f- factor that into your uh, to your pricing. Because I have so much versatility continuing from the scan snap, I feel good about that decision. I've used it a lot, and I like the fact that I can continue to digitize things going forward because that will continually keep for me... Uh, a lower footprint, I'll need less physical space because I have more things digitally archived than physically archived. So I really like that. So you need to cut the books up, you need a good paper cutter that can do a couple hundred pages at once, uh, and a a scanner. Uh, Again, look for those, see if you can See if you can sell them out, sell them in the future. What that creates, what it, what, what ScanSnap creates for you is a PDF. And that PDF is of pretty good, pretty good quality. You can scan in black and white, which is really nice because it cleans up even some of the old yellowed pages in your older books. Uh, or you can scan in color if that's important to you. And the scans are, pr- are pretty high quality, which means that you could apply to the process uh, an optical character recognition program, OCR, which would, in a sense, digitize the text on the page. I don't bother with that uh, because I haven't seen the need for it and I don't need all those files. I just keep the PDFs, but that could be an option for you. The scanning software does a good job generally of correcting for a little bit of distortion as well. So you get very readable uh, readable scans. But now the question is, how do you read it? Well, the obvious solution is you can read on your computer. You have this nice PDF. And I always keep my scanner on a setting that doesn't reject blank pages. Uh, the ScanSnap software allows you to automatically reject blank pages. That would That's very useful if you're scanning a stack of documents and most of them are written on the front, but you want to capture a few notes on the back. That's useful. Um, but if, for reading, I want to make sure that the book is laid out on screen exactly as it is in the um, in the. Uh uh, in the actual physical book, I find this works really well. Uh, built in with using the built-in software on my Mac, if I just take one of these PDFs and I open it up using the built-in Preview software on my Mac, it displays it on screen with a nice full-page side-by-side view. And I like to read like that because it d- it shows the book there. And if I'm willing to sit on a desk, then it makes it nice. I can write in a notebook or I can I can read it fairly comfortably if I'm willing to be at my computer. Um, but of course, we like to read with other devices, other tablets and things as well. So I use a a Mac, and on my Mac, I use a software program called Calibre, C-A-L-I-B-R-E. And from my research, this seems to be the standard for managing a library. Calibre is a very powerful program. It's It's an open source program that's freely available. The developers do a good job of continually updating it, but it's an open source program that's focused on one task, and that task is managing a library. It's not particularly beautiful, but it is a very effective. And so if you want the ability to manage a library, then it that works really well. And what I like about it is in addition to all of my scanned books, I can fully integrate all of my digital books that I've previously bought and I can also integrate all of my various papers and books and ebooks and things that you collect around the web all of the things that have been available for you. And so right now I have about 1300 books in my Calibre library and they can be tagged, they can be organized according to authors, etc. Calibre is really powerful for that purpose, and I really like it. Um, When we come back to digital books in just a moment, you'll see why this is so particularly valuable. The other reason I like Calibre is Calibre allows me to navigate and and manage a physical... uh, reading tablet device without having to go through the internet now the the, the cert, there are options that are limited on this for example i've had uh, an older ipad that i wanted to use as my reader it's got a very nice screen it would be nice to read on but the problem is how do you get the files onto it and be- And I haven't been able to find a way of physically connecting my computer to that uh, iPad and moving the files onto it without going through some some kind of Internet server. And I didn't want to go through an Internet server. So what I've chosen to do is I purchased a standalone Amazon Kindle. Uh, and a standalone Amazon fire tablet, a color one of the color tablets. Now the fire tablet is very cheap Amazon is selling these very inexpensively and I use that particular tablet for viewing PDFs. Now of course the modern versions of the Kindle will view PDFs really beautifully. sorry adequately they'll view PDFs adequately, but they're not beautiful and I don't find them particularly pleasurable to read on. but the fire tablet that Amazon sells is um, is uh, 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 effective it's got a good color screen and you can use it to view pdfs what i like about the fire tablet is it's easy for me to just plug the usb cable in and directly transfer pdf files from my computer over onto the fire tablet and i just use uh, adobe pdf reader acrobat or whatever is on the fire to view them I don't use the tablet for anything else. It's a very insecure tablet. Um, I'm sure it does all that other stuff, but I don't use it for anything else. And I don't ever connect it to the internet. I just use it as for transferring the PDFs over from my computer to the tablet. So I always keep uh, a few hundred books on the tablet that I'm reading. And then as I read them, then I go ahead and I take them off the tablet and I keep all of my notes and data for those books on my actual computer. And then I do the same thing with the Kindle. Uh, So I have an Amazon Kindle. You can purchase a newer one or a used one, uh, I, fi- I don't care since I don't use the system. I deactivate the uh, the Wi-Fi, I deactivate the um, uh, the Wi-Fi the, and the cellular connections if, if it has it, and I just plug the cable in. And so Caliber and the Kindle or Fire is beautiful. It's so easy to Move books onto the device, off the device. You just plug in your USB cable. It works really, really well. I haven't tested some of the other tablets that are out there. I don't know the Nook, et cetera. I don't know how, effectively, how effective those are. But uh, a tablet that you can get for 30 or 40 bucks uh, for the fire or for the Kindle that you can get, um, the new Kindles are cost a little bit more. They're a little bit nicer. You can get an older one for 30 bucks. They work fine. Those work really, really well. So I use the Kindle for displaying all of the native ebooks that I have. Uh, And I also use the Fire, and I use the Fire for displaying PDFs. And I just pick one of those and whichever one I want to read, then I use those. I found that effective. So it allows me to carry the tablet device with the books because I don't have anything else on the devices other than just books. It allows me to stay focused and it displays the text that I'm seeking to read. One of the wonderful things, about caliber is it does help you with the use of a few plugins it does help you from time to time to be able to strip the drm off of your purchases so here i need to refer you to the internet because anything that i tell you will be immediately changed in the next software publication i'll just tell you what you can do is you can get all of your books all of your ebooks out of the clutches of uh, whoever you bought them from. You may have to install some plugins, you may have to play with the system a little bit, but I really appreciate having all of my eBooks stripped of their DRM. Ebooks really are wonderful, especially some of the resources of older books. And if you start to use Caliber, I think it really opens up some options for you uh, because so many of the public domain books of the past are now available to you with Project Gutenberg and many other websites that are available. You can load up a Kindle with all kinds of quality reading. And I intend to use this in the future with um, uh, with our children, uh, with their education, et cetera. You can create different categories with caliber and you can keep all kinds of different books. Uh, and so it's really, really wonderful. I do love having access to the whole library right there. And I especially love it while on the road. Uh, I have all of my textbooks, everything right here. So as I'm working on projects, I don't have to carry, I mean, I had, a, uh, I had two shelves that are f- three foot. So I had let's call it, uh, 72 inches of no more than that. I call it six to eight feet of bookshelf space taken up exclusively by financial planning textbooks. Uh, well, those are all now in, uh, in a in a file where I can easily access them. That's really cool. It's really useful uh, because it, it keeps the 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 content available to me without having to figure out where on earth do I put these eight feet of textbooks. <laughs> uh, so I really like that. So for me, that has been worth it. I would commend it to you. Uh, that's the system I've come up with. It's not the I don't claim it's the best, but it does help me. I think to get many of the benefits of modern. Um, ebooks and modern tablet technology, with a few of the drawbacks. I do really like reading on the Kindle device. It is very effective. I like the fact that it doesn't have a screen, so it, that's good for your head. It doesn't strain your eyes. It's nice to read outside, uh, and and, as, and using the system the way that I use it, where that Kindle never connects to. Um, uh, to the internet allows me to maintain and keep back some of the privacy concerns about what I'm reading and how I'm reading it how fast I'm reading it um, so I like that uh, and the Kindle is very pleasurable to read on uh, fire tablet man eh, it's okay I really wish I could get an iPad to work but iPad doesn't talk well with caliber and I'm not willing to go through all of the hassle that other people um, have done so far. So that's what I have done. And to my listeners questions, I hope that that will help you. Don't, I do warn you this. Don't sit down and try to, um, brute force your books with a plate glass scanner. That is impossible. You need, if you're going to do this, be prepared to either pay for it put, to buy the equipment or just pay somebody uh, to do it. You should look at prices. Uh, it's you should. It's a lot of work. Um, I've done it, uh, but it's a huge amount of work. Only do it if you can do something else productive while you are doing those books. You should seriously consider just paying somebody. This would be a good job for you to pay uh, uh, a young boy or girl to do for you. There's no reason at all why they couldn't do this competently. You should consider paying one of the services. But if you want to do it the way that I did, get yourself a paper cutter, a scanner, and caliber. And I hope that you will regain some shelf space while still having access to the knowledge (laughs) that you need to become a better chess player.